First Christian Church of Chiefland brings you the good news. And now, Tom Jones. I am life. In book of Matthew, it says he was born of a virgin named Mary, who had a husband named Joseph, and they were told that the world uh, that they would bring forth a son whose name would be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In Mark, it says, And John the Baptist preached, saying, There comes one after me, who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In the book of Luke, it said, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men. And then in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. These are some of the things we are told at the beginning of each gospel about the life of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 10, verse 11, when Jesus is giving a, a, a talking about him being the door, he says, I am the door to the sheep. He talked about being the good shepherd of the sheep. He says these words in chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. This one single life would have such a tremendous impact on world history. Some loved him. Some hated him. Some sought to kill him. And some only wanted from him. Yet in the end, all are impacted by his life. Jesus Christ. And maybe that's why it says in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his, one's life for his friends. Let's pray. Only God, we thank you for the opportunity today to think about the life of Christ and what he did, the miracles he performed, the lessons he taught, the people he touched in many forms. Illness, rich man, poor man, scholar and the unlearned. He touched them all. And some hated him for it. Some loved him. Some wanted to kill him. Some just wanted from him. And I ask us today, Lord, why are we here? I pray it's today because of that one life. Because of what Jesus did. And that we want to be like Jesus. More and more every day. We want to learn from Jesus. And walk in his ways. Because we're called your children. And he died for us. We're thankful for that resurrection. And we look forward to his return. But until then, Lord. May we be found to be following in that life of Christ. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Today I want to share with you three ways in which Jesus teaches us about his life. And the first way is this. He says, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 6, verse 48, he made that statement. I am the bread of life. On many occasions, Jesus used food as a vital part of his ministry. Consider this partial list. He was born in Bethlehem, which in the first century was widely known as the house of bread. Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding feast in Cana. Who can forget the time he fed 5,000 men plus women and children using five loaves of bread and two small fish? And then sometime later he fed 4,000 with seven loaves and just a few fish. And what about the wee little man, Zacchaeus, whom Jesus spotted in a tree and said he wanted to come and dine at his house and what an impact it made on Zacchaeus' life. And the repentance that came about in that household. Even the night he was betrayed, Jesus spent time with his twelve apostles having the Passover meal together where he instituted the Lord's Supper. And then he shared a meal of fish and bread with some of the apostles on the beach where he instructed Peter, feed my sheep. And yet in John chapter 6, when Jesus made his first public claim to his identity, he said, I am the bread of life. He used a common, well-known reality, bread, to illustrate a deeper spiritual meaning. The only trouble was, because Palestine was largely a wilderness region, bread often came at a premium. The people Jesus ministered to uh, knew what it was to go hungry. And so when Jesus started talking about bread, they thought, food! He's going to make us some more food! And they didn't understand that the food Jesus really came to provide was not food for the stomach, but rather food for the soul. And just the day before, Jesus fed over 5,000, and now these same people wanted more. But they were more concerned about the physical body than they were about the spiritual soul. And all they thought about is, let's run ahead because he's going to feed us again. In other words, they cared about what Jesus could give them physically. Today, we call it Resurrection Sunday. The world calls it Easter Sunday. Now I wonder how many people are going to gather in the name of Jesus. They're more concerned about the physical than they are the spiritual. How many today will enter a church building because it is the thing to do on Easter Sunday? And then go home and enjoy a big meal yet not even remember the real purpose of the day? I can't help but think so many times, what's so important about today? To so many people. That won't be just as important next Sunday on April 24th. In the preacher business, we call them C&E people. Christmas and Easter. <laughs> they come to the church building on Christmas to sing those carols, boy. Woohoo! 
And by the time they sit down to open their presents, either Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, they forgot all about Jesus. And on Easter, they'll be here today. You'll see them. You go down to any of these church buildings, and there'll be people in there, if you took their names and counted them, how many of the same people be there next week? And you won't see that person now until eight months from now, Christmas Christmas Eve or Christmas service or whatever they're going to call it. Yeah, preacher's getting preachy this morning. Because I don't want any of us to be those people. You know what they lack? That hopefully you don't? Commitment. Why did Jesus say, I am the bread of life? Because one thing, you and I need that food every day. And I'm not talking about mashed potatoes and gravy and all those good things. I'm talking about the food of the, the body and blood, the life of Jesus Christ. We need to have that in our life every day, just like food to sustain us. And that's why Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You know what's so important about this day? It's the Lord's day. Every first day of the week is the Lord's day. Now, in the Old Testament, they worshipped on Saturday. And it's David talked about, he couldn't wait till Saturday to go up to the house of the Lord, he said. When we leave here today, are we already looking forward to coming back next week? Hello? You, that guy in there talking all this stuff. Because that's for me too. You know, we can get so caught up in the things each week, we lose focus of what's coming. And I need to listen to this once again. Just I've already listened to this sermon probably two or three times. I'll listen to it again in my own mind. Because I'm talking about me here. So if you get hit with that, I'm not going to apologize. That's a good thing. But it's true. We can get so caught up in the things of the week, we lose focus on what's coming up. In Matthew 26, 26 through 29, this is what Jesus said. As they were eating, he took bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them. He said, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Guess what? Jesus drank with us this morning. Just like he does every Lord's Day morning. And keeps his word. But that's what he's saying. Remember me? Why is it we have to be told to remember Jesus? Because we will forget. That's why. Now, how many people today will take the Lord's Supper because it is what they do on Easter Sunday? And not because Jesus instructed us to remember each Lord's Day. Is his death for us on the cross not worth remembering every first day of the week? I am the bread of life. You see, bread is a staple of life. How often do you and I feed our bodies? Well, obviously you can tell I do a pretty good job of feeding mine. Now, if Jesus tells us to remember him, then how often should we? We've been instructed to partake of this Lord's of, of table remembrance every first day of the week. 
Wheat and grapes are available in almost every place in the world. There's no reason not to remember Jesus when partaking of the Lord's Supper on the Lord's Day. I can feel confident if somebody suddenly zapped me into Antarctica on the Lord's Day, I can still take the Lord's Supper. Because I can have the wheat ground into unleavened bread and the grape juice. I have no excuse. In John chapter 6, verses 53-58, Jesus said to them, Most surely I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. And this is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the man and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. You see, Jesus is preparing us for his death. And that is why he came. And that was the goal of his life, to die for each and every sinner. Because as we see there, without Jesus says in verse 53, without Jesus in our lives, we have no life in us. You know what it really amounts to? thought about this. What it really amounts to is if I don't have Jesus in my life, I'm no better than the cows out there in the field. I'm no better than the caterpillars that my little granddaughter keeps chasing around the yard. Now, I know she doesn't understand a whole lot of things when I was, I was sharing in Sunday school this morning. You know, when it comes to sitting down at the dinner table, Olivia knows that nobody eats until we pray. And on those evenings when she's really hungry, she'll sit down at the table, table's all set, the food gets up there, and she puts her hands out. She says, can we pray? Because that's telling us she's hungry, she's ready. Let's get the prayer thing going so we can eat. She don't try to rush Papa because then she'll look at Papa and say, go ahead, Papa, you can pray. We are nothing without having Jesus in our life. We do have no, no life without Jesus. I am the bread of life, he said. Number two, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let me ask you, have you ever faced a time in life when it seemed as though everything that once was so very good suddenly became so very bad? Riding the crest of success and prosperity, you lost your job. Your business went belly up. Perhaps it was the loss of your mate, either through death or divorce, or maybe it was the loss of health. You thought it was a routine exam, but the doctor called you into his office and said, I see something on your x-ray that concerns me. If you've been there, you understand what the disciples must have been feeling in the upper room the night Jesus was betrayed. Four days earlier, Jesus was the toast of Palestine. He rode triumphantly into Jerusalem on the back of a young colt. His admirers laid palm branches in his path, waved others wildly as he passed, and they shouted, Hosanna! Lord, save us! As you might imagine, his disciples were ecstatic. And finally, 
After three and a half years, Jesus is gaining political momentum. They surmise our time has finally arrived. But four days later, as they were sharing a meal with their leader, he drops a bomb on them. In fact, several bombs. And all their plans and schemings blew up in their face. So what did he tell them that was so devastating? Well, first he said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, be a servant to all. I'm sure that was a slap to the face because they keep arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And now Jesus says, you want to be great? Serve all the others. And then he says, I'm going to go and be crucified. What? One of you is going to betray me. We know that was Judas. One of you is going to deny me three times. Hello, Peter. And then Jesus says, in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, he just drops all this on him, and then he says these things. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here, Jesus is pointing toward heaven. And to get to heaven requires us to go through the cross. It was God's will, and this is the plan. The cross. What does it mean for us? Well, in Galatians 3.13, Paul wrote, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now if the cross was a cursed place to die, it should truly show us how vile our sins are to God. That he would even allow his son to die on the most cursed and vile way imaginable. You see the cross, what does it mean to us? It's for Christ, it was a place of death. But for us, it's a place of life. Maybe that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You and I cannot get to heaven except through Jesus. Now what does that mean? It means if we want heaven, we must do it on his terms. On his terms. Not our terms. His terms. That's his place of residence. And if we want to live where he is, guess what? You have to follow his turn. It was that way when I was growing up. My dad would always say, son, as long as you want to live here, you'll follow my rules. Why, dad? Because this is my house. I pay the bills. It's funny how those things get passed down. I said the same things to my son. Now I hear my son... 
<laughs> who's living in my house, hearing them all over again from dad and mom, but he's passing them down to his children. If you want to live here in grandma and grandpa's house, then you need to do it their rules. Dad says. Like, oh, that's my son. Good job. So, what are his terms? Must deny and die for oneself, he says. Recognize that you are a sinner and you need to redeem, be bought, or you have been redeemed, bought back, but you need to accept that sacrifice by Jesus. Number two, you must believe and have faith. In other words, you're believing something that seems unbelievable. But you have faith and you're going to accept that. Who Jesus really is. We must repent of our sinful life that is keeping us from a relationship with God. In other words, we don't want to live in that sinful life anymore. We want to live like Jesus wants us to live. And that we find out in this book. We must confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Just like I just did. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the only begotten Son of the living God. I'm confessing Him as my Lord and my Savior and my Master. And then I'm going to be baptized by immersion for the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be buried with Christ, raised to walk, newness of life. And while we're down there, God's going to cut away all our sin and fill us with His Holy Spirit. And then we're raised to walk in a newness of life. That newness of life leads us to a faithful life to live like Jesus wants us to live. We die to self. The old man or woman is gone. And now we live for Jesus. And that quick, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you just changed your address. Like I said last week, there's two addresses when you and I die. There's heaven and there's hell. Where are you going to choose to live? Because it happens here. Before I take that last breath, I made my decision where I want my final address to be. So when I stand before God on the day of judgment, and He is going to pronounce judgment on me, I've already decided what my address will be. All He's doing is making sure I get to the right place. And the point is, God's not going to send me to hell. I've already chosen it. And if I've done everything that the book tells me to do, so I have a place in heaven, I've chosen that too. And that's where God's going to say, enter in, my faithful servant. And I, I'm just going to add this little bit because it just seems, I don't think God will blame me for this when he says, welcome home. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see what Jesus meant when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? 
He was pointing us to the cross. And brothers and sisters, is where we find our hope and our joy and our peace and our salvation is the cross. So when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we go through Jesus to get to heaven. And maybe that's why in 1 Corinthians 2.2, Paul said, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And finally, we see that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Job called it the king of terrors. Thomas Brown cynically referred to it as the cure for all diseases. A German proverb defined it as the poor man's doctor. Thomas Gray refers to it as the inevitable hour. George Eliot called it the great reconciler. And John Keats, well, he said it was the unwilling sleep. To what are these men referring? Any guesses? I think I heard it. Death. They're all referring to death. When asked, what is your greatest fear? Harry Young replied, death. It's the one thing I know nothing about. I've got no control over it. I can't choose how, where, or when it will happen. I guess those two things, not knowing what it's all about, having no control over it, make it number one. Now, have you ever felt that way? I guess perhaps at some time we have all thought of those thoughts. Death is spoken of in the scriptures as our enemy, so I guess death does cast a long, foreboding shadow across the face of humanity. Aren't you glad that Jesus made this statement in the face of death? Let me read it for you. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What does the resurrection mean to us? It means you and I are here today because of the resurrection of Jesus, right? Isn't that why most of us are here today? I hope that's why we're all here today. But in Luke chapter 24, I'd like to read what it says in verses 1 through 8. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their face to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. So as we get close here to finishing this up, let me ask you, what does the resurrection mean to you? Well, hopefully one thing, it means hope. Hope. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I hope that the resurrection means hope for you. How about victory? Victory. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 56-58, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then finally, eternal life. John 17, verses 1 through 3. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In John chapter 11, one more time. John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, four key words here. Do you believe this? The question was asked of Martha. And here was her response as she stood by the tomb of her brother Lazarus. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? You know, Jesus met with the apostles after his resurrection in the upper room. And for a short time, the apostles didn't believe. And when he appeared to them in the upper room, then they knew and believed. And when Thomas was there the next week, it prompted Jesus to say to Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you believe this? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. A boy's name was Philip. And Philip was born with Down syndrome. He attended a third grade Sunday school class with several eight-year-old boys and girls. And typical of that age, the children did not readily accept Philip with his differences. But because of a created teacher, they began to care about Philip and accept him as part of the group, though not fully. And Sunday after Easter, the teacher brought legs pantyhose containers. Remember those? They look like an egg. The kind... They were quite large, and each received one. And the children were told to go outside on that lovely spring day and find some symbol of new life and put it inside the egg in the container. And back in the classroom, they would share their new life symbols, opening the containers one by one in surprise fashion. After running about the church property in wild confusion, the students returned to the classroom and placed the containers on the table. And surrounded by the children, the teacher began to open them one by one. After each one, whether a flower or a butterfly or a leaf, the class would ooh and ah. And then one was opened, revealing nothing inside. And the children explained, Well, that's stupid. That's not fair. Somebody didn't do their assignment. And Philip spoke up. That's mine. 
Well, Philip, you don't ever do things right, the student said. There's nothing here. He said, I did so do it. I did do it. It's empty. The tomb of Jesus was empty. And the class grew silent. And from then on, Philip became a full member of the class. Well, Philip died not long afterward. From an infection, most normal children would have shrugged off. And at the funeral, this class of eight-year-olds marched up to the casket, not with flowers, but with their Sunday school teacher, each to lay an empty pantyhose egg on the coffin. Christ has resurrected. Do you believe that? Because if you don't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have no life in you. It doesn't get any more simple than that. I don't know that I can present the life of Christ any better or the need for Jesus in your life any better. And I don't know if I can present the plan of salvation any better than the way we went over it today. Because that's what this day is really about. That Jesus died for you and for me. Do you believe it? That's the key. We're going to sing our hymn of invitation. I'd be happy to sit down with you and discuss it further. As we stand and sing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, page 414, we'll do verses 1 and 4. If you have a decision to make, you come as we sing. <coughs> Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, willing and still. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold o'er my being, absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit, till all shall see. Christ only always living in me. I hope you have a wonderful day, and God will bless you in many ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're truly grateful for the opportunity we have today to be together, to worship and to praise you, to hear a message through your word, this wonderful blessing that Jesus is to us, to remember him around his table, to fellowship together, and also, Lord, to sing praise to you. We're so wonderfully blessed, and we rejoice for all we have. Please keep us safe as we go from this place. Help us to be a guiding light for others as we share our life of Christ with them. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. 
I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join hands with Jesus, we travel this song. For a part of the family. But then again, David, thank you. I don't think I could ever remember a sermon that I didn't enjoy. Thank you.